This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to Games in Schools and Libraries. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my 3-4 class as well as for our games club, our games days and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And my name is Donald Dennis. I'm the Young Adult Games and Technology Librarian for the Georgetown County Library System, where I provide games and technology programming for young adults. Uh, We use games to support our other programs, like financial fitness, uh, how to respond to natural disasters, and of course I also have a podcast, OnBoardGames.net, where you can occasionally find Giles contributing as well. A mighty fine podcast, especially when I make my rare appearance. (laughs) (laughs) And I am uh, able to be found on Twitter as OnBoardGames. Very good. Now, this episode, I suppose, is an episode, thinking back on it, Don, it's a theme you suggested when we were having a chat last time we were recorded, and uh, thinking on it, I thought, why haven't we done this already? You're a librarian, I'm a teacher. Surely the tie-in between books and games is something we should have already discussed. Well, you know, it's not something that people think about a lot. I mean, there are books that that have games in them, and there are games that uh, that are based on books. But by and large, it's not thought that hey, this is uh, this is something that happens a lot. So I understand. I'm not not too concerned about it. How do we want to launch at this? Do we want to talk about uh, books with games in it as a way to get kids excited about playing games, or do we want to talk about uh, games about books to get kids excited about reading? Well, you know, as much as there are books with games in them, I think for this conversation, I think the more interesting discussion centres around um, games that that either are set within the setting of the book or that evoke um, the narrative of the book or, um, you know, based on on a book of some sort or other. Man, you're leaving a lot on the ground there. But okay, we can move <laughs> forward with this, and uh, and we'll cover uh, books that are about games or that have significant game presence in them later. Because uh, something you can get kids excited about, you know, while reading or about games, either way, I think you're going to win with that. So, well, we'll follow that for a second. What what sorts of books are you thinking of here? Well, of course, the big, the classic science fiction game, uh, science fiction book, Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. is all about games, game theory, and game play. And I guess it's before game theory was what it has evolved into today as a, as a real discipline, um, where the kids in this military setting are forced to engage in uh, a variety of games, both uh, physical war games where they're running around trying to do battle school or on their desktop where they've got an RPG that they're playing, or various you know, strategy and combat simulations. And Ender's Game is an amazingly popular book. No matter how controversial the author and the author's opinions might be, 
it's it's still very popular and it, but it has been banned in several schools here in the US because people just don't know what they're banning. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I I have the book, it's on my bookshelf, but I haven't read it to be honest. I did know that it was about um or centered around games, but I guess the reason I probably overlooked this aspect is because the age group that I teach that range between sort of 8 and 10 years old. Um, the sort of books I suppose that, that deal with games where you're able to tease that out are, are probably there probably aren't that many that hit that age group. Well, it's just funny. That's about the age of character characters are in the book. Oh wow! And Ender is a young prepubescent child in this book, mm-hmm. and the thought was that I think um, what's his name Orson Scott Card wanted to show. Well, here's how you can get kids to be the best at something: is you start training them before they're old enough to be distracted by girls or whatever it is. And <laughs> and you start basically indoctrinating them into whatever this uh, process is early. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a lot of social theory that's kind of in this and a lot of military uh, concepts that are, are put forward. And so it's sort of interesting to, uh, you know, get his opinion on, on how things could evolve. And in fact, there've been several times that this movie has been tried to be, or book has been turned into a movie, tried to be turned into a movie. And they've always wanted to make the kids older because they thought, man, you can't have kids that young doing these kinds of things. Mm. And uh, Orson Scott Card has been like, well, that's the whole point of it is you're list- lessening the impact of the book and the story. If you make the kids 18 or 19, instead of, uh, I don't know how Ender is eventually when he graduates, he's in his early teens, I believe yep. that, uh, you know, you're just, you're just not telling the same story. Well, it's a fascinating, I suppose, um, controversially, I, we could go down that road of discussion. You've got the idea of life uh, imitating fiction there with, is it the US military bought out a couple of video games that are free to download, I believe. Army of One, I believe, is the game you're talking about. Yeah, so there might yeah. be some others. Yeah. Fascinating. And so that's interesting when you're talking about games and that purpose are sort of like games as propaganda. Mm. Uh, but it's really weird that there's a big difference, I believe, through games that are obviously pop propaganda like that, which mm. is, hey, you know, we are teaching you this is the army, yay, go team, move forward <laughs> with it, um, versus games like a uh, a Call of Duty or uh, you know some of the zombie games that have come out where yeah. they 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 put people in. And I guess games is propaganda is a whole nother episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the folks at Extra Credits, which is a Extra Credits is an animated show where they talk about game related aspects. And they did a whole episode or two on propaganda where they talk about the difference between, you know, or like a real heavy hitting, hey, this is all about us versus, oh, we're subtly insinuating that because all the zombies in this are black and all the protagonists are white. You're putting forth one idea over another. All the zombies drink Pepsi and all the people who are alive drink Coke. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, Coke is it, I I must say. That's the way to go. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you on that one, Don. So are there any other books? You've got uh, Ender's Game. Are there any other books that probably hit that note uh, in a way that that you think is particularly worth talking about? Well, uh, the Dream Park series by uh, Larry Nevin and Stephen Barnes, it's the Hallmark Games and Books hybrid. In fact, it created a whole organization in real world called the International Fantasy Gaming Society, which is based on emulating his books, which is all about people getting together in a large uh, theme park type of atmosphere like a Disney 
based around live action role playing, uh, which is uh, you get a group together and they're pretending to be Dungeons and Dragons characters wandering around in a huge environment, solving puzzles, uh, having mock combats and uh, doing physical stress tests or whatever as, as they proceed through their weekend long or even week long adventures. Wow. Yep. So if you like real science fiction, that's a great, a great way to look at how could you do this kind of, of game event in the real world. I suppose sort of subtly um, pushing this conversation in the direction that I wanted originally. <laughs> There's also games that are, uh, a book, sorry, that are games. And I'm thinking of the Steve Jackson and Livingston um, Choose Your Own Adventure series and, and those sorts of books where not only are you doing the reading, you're also playing a game while you're doing it. You make choices um, while you read and... But before we get into that, and that's definitely that's definitely worth talking about, um, and obviously we could probably do a larger episode on that kind of thing. Yep. But look at the the Harry Potter series where you had Wizards Chess. All right. Mm. Um, so this is going to you know make chess more appealing to kids, and chess is an excellent logical thought planning kind of executive decision making skill game, where you have to plan out ahead what you're going to do if you're going to be any good at it, and you know just having books that show games as, as a way, you know, that kids play them or that they know them, mm. that's going to help get other people engaged in games. You know, whether it's checkers, chess, cards, whatever it is, these are the kinds of things that people are going to find interesting. And, of course, there's lots of books that have gambling in them, but, well, we're not really talking about gambling since this is schools and libraries. <laughs> um, but, so, yes, now let's go ahead and move from books with games in them to games about books and there's a lot of um or actually you're you're doing games as books now you're cheating I, like that. that's good. <laughs> I thought it was a more subtle step towards the the games about books well that's, that's where i was going to make the transition with harry potter which yeah. is there are lots of games about the harry potter franchise yeah very true yep now of course most of those are about the movies but since the movies are about the books we're going to take that you know, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon and remove the movie step and just pretend like it's about the books. <laughs> so are there any other franchises or, or, or major um, book series, popular book series that um, some some um, excellent games are based on? I know you mentioned Harry Potter. Um, Lego um, produced a range of Harry Potter-themed games where you've got the Lego pieces as well as the, um, the game experience there. Um, Lego games is a... Another interesting thing, I suppose we could talk talk about another episode. Um, right. But but there are a whole run, range of, of other um, very well known books that have been turned into games. Well, the Lego video games mm. uh, are some of the best children's video games I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and they are playable by young or old, a uh, wide variety of ages. Very interesting. Now they're not graphic, which is why they're good for younger kids. But it's also why it might make it a little less appe- appealing to you know, high schoolers or older. They mm. are great games, though. Who doesn't like Lego? <laughs> really? Um, Aside, if you happen to step on it at four in the morning, then it's not pleasant. That's right. Excellent alarm system for your house. <laughs> uh, wonderful toy. Plastic caltrops. Now, uh, I would say some of the games that came out over the past year, year and a half, based on a popular book series, would be the two Discworld games, which uh, one yep. of them was Backspindle Games, and the other was by uh, Martin Wallace and came out from Mayfair Games. And that one was, uh, one of them was Guards Guards from Bax Bendel. Mm-hmm. And the other was Discworld Ankh Morpork from Mayfair and Martin Wallace. So if you're a big fan of the Discworld games, I can definitely recommend the 
Ankh-Morpork game. Mm -hmm. It, uh, you know, you're wandering around the city and you're completing your tasks to uh, play some of these cards and, and have different effects happen. It's a pretty simple game, but, you know, the cards make it much more interesting and engaging and you get a lot more out of it, a lot more enjoyment if you already know the series. Yeah, I love um, the Terry Pratchett um, series, uh, the Discworld series, and, and any, anything by Terry Pratchett, really. So, yeah, I haven't played either of those games, but I am interested in the Unk Morpork game. I was talking with Eric, the, my co-host over at the On Board Games podcast, about I was reading one of Pratchett's books, and I was thinking, you know, talking to him, saying, well, you know, it's okay. It's, it's not his best book. And he responded with, yeah, but you know that a merely okay book by Terry Pratchett is still better than 90% of what you're going to read elsewhere. <laughs> That it's is like, true. well, yeah, that's true. Yes, I am finishing reading it, even though it's not his best book. So, what other franchises are there? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say, yeah, probably, you pick one. <laughs> probably my favorite, one of my favorite books certainly is the Lord of the Rings, um, and there are a swathe of games that have been uh, published set in the the Middle Earth setting uh, of the Lord of the Rings, whether they are games on the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings, um, a huge number of them. I'm glad that you brought that up because uh, when I worked for Iron. Crown Enterprises, we put out games based on The Lord of the Rings. You did indeed. Merp was one of my favorites. Well, hooray. Yes. Uh, Middle-Earth Role-Playing was a role-playing game that, well, had lots of charts and tables, but each one of the books from the Middle-Earth Role-Playing was like a scholarly tome on a region or a people or, you know, even just a place or an instance of something happening mm. that, you know, you've is not very common anywhere in entertainment just you know i guess now that there are more art books and and background books that are coming out but at the time this was just a rare and unusual thing and it's been now over a decade since any of the middle earth role-playing game books have been published by iron crown hmm. but i think that fantasy flight or who has it uh it's the the call of the uh, what is it i can't can't remember what the new role-playing game is called, but it's published by some of the authors, uh, the designers from the Nexus Games Fantasy Flight um, War of the Ring board game. Um, Francesco right. Napoli Napoliano, I can't, I can't, I can't remember the authors to be quite honest, but they're, um, and I apologise because they are absolutely wonderful game designers. They really are. So, as Giles has pointed out, there's not just role-playing games about these books. There's also card games, collectible card games, board games, uh, miniatures games. Yep. In fact, I was working on a game that you were going to be able to recreate the Battle of Five Armies or the Battle of Pelennor Fields or, you know, any of these huge conflicts from Middle Earth with, uh, you know, painted up dolls, I'm sorry, miniatures, <laughs> uh, across a huge span of tables where you'd have hundreds and hundreds of pieces that you move armies around a table. Mm. And if you think that a 13-year-old boy who's at about the age where they start to give up on reading altogether wouldn't walk into a room and see something like that and go, oh my gosh, that is so cool, then you don't know your kids very well. Because they're, at least in America, that's when they tend to you know, want some more aggressive entertainment. Yeah. And I think, as you say, there, there's a very strong visual appeal with um, tabletop miniatures games, particularly often the tables are well detailed with, you know, green sort of mats resembling grass and there are hills and trees and the little, as you said, dolls, so I'll say miniatures, as I love painting miniatures, the little miniatures that you that are painted up and that you 
move around are usually very detailed and there's a whole hobby in and of itself constructing the terrain and painting the miniatures and so forth. Um, but yeah, the, the, there is a, sh- a hugely strong visual appeal um, that goes with those games that really attempts to evoke the um, the world, I guess, that the game is taking place in. Right. And now with the Hobbit movie coming out this December... This will be out by then, I'm betting. Uh, that, uh, that you can look for a new batch of games based on the movie to come out. Now, you can always say, you know, these are based off the book. That's fine. Nobody's going to call you on that. Mm. But you have to be careful because there are going to be some horrible games based on the movie. There's going to be another Monopoly, which, you know, Monopoly in itself doesn't mean it's a horrible game, but for the purposes of sitting down in a classroom or sitting down in a library where you've got a limited time or for sitting down at, where you're trying to keep kids engaged the entire time, yeah. then then it's not a game that's terribly suitable for that. Now, Monopoly is not a game that I like very much, uh, but I have heard that the old Lord of the Rings Monopoly actually had some interesting elements to it. But still, for our environments, it would not be terribly appropriate. I think the the important thing on the to keep in mind is that there's a difference between a good um, game and a piece of merchandise. And unfortunately, a lot of these big, um, you know, films and, and video games and so forth that attract uh, a lot of a lot of public or popular support um, then have merchandising that go with them. And some of that merchandising can be quite good, um, and some of it can be very, very bad. And when it comes to games, unfortunately, a lot of the games that hit the popular market, there's an there's an attitude I think in in the popular game publishing industry um, from companies like Hasbro and, and others that have um, the, the money and the clout to get the licenses for these sort of movies that the games that hit the market need to be simplistic and, and so forth. They don't necessarily put a lot of time and energy into developing good solid games with good um, sets of rules. And so what you're getting is a piece of merchandise is not necessarily a very good game. And, and frequently a way to tell the difference is, is the name of the designer also on the cover or is it just the name of the book now with a lot of licensed products like uh, you know some of the big book series you're not always going to get the name of the designer on the cover anyway but if it says andrew parks designed uh, like the 300 conversion Mm. for uh for a board game then there's a chance that it's going to be a little bit more exciting or a little bit more interesting than if you just get it's 300 the game I think I think another thing to be aware of is is exactly what you were talking about before is a, another game that is being just just has a, has that that theme um, as a veneer sort of um, smeared over it like you know your Lord of the Rings Monopoly or your um, the Hobbit version of Jenga or whatever whatever it might happen to be um, you know. If it's a popular game that's already been on the market for many, many years and it's got a new theme on it, it's unlikely to be um, a particularly good game. On the other hand, a Middle-earth version of Risk could be fairly thematic since it's uh, all about the giant wars, the ring, and that kind Mm. of thing. So, I mean, it could match. It could be a match if you like the base game. There was a Lord of the Rings Risk. Um, It wasn't a bad game, um, but again... Um, if you like Lord of the Rings and you don't mind Risk, then it would be a, a really solid game. I'm, I don't mind Risk, but I do find that it takes a little long for what you get out of it. <laughs> right, but I had a, the Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit, mm. and if you're not really into Lord of the Rings, 
then it's not going to be a good version of Trivial Pursuit for you. Yeah. Let's move on, on to some other book series. We've talked about Lord of the Rings quite a bit. Um, is there another series you can recommend? Oh, look, I think that there's a, you know, there's a huge range of books that have been turned into games or, or rather games that have been themed with um, particular books. Um, the other night I played with uh, my wife uh, the game Beowulf, which is designed by Rana Knizia and published by Fantasy Flight Games, um, obviously published on the Anglo-Saxon epic Beowulf. Right, and that's the fierce game of you have auctions with sets of cards <laughs> that, that richly emulates the whole Beowulf experience. And, you know, it's one of my favorite ever emulations of a topic. No, who am I kidding? I hate this game. <laughs> oh, look, I, I didn't mind the game. It's a light, it's, it's, there's nothing too deep about it. It's light family fare with a very thin window dressing of theme. I think, though, you, what you're right about there is that it brings up an interesting discussion about um, games that reflect books. Is, is the game... Um, something that lives and breathes the setting of the game? Does it have a, a veneer of the, 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 the book in it? Or, or is it a game that really seeks to take you on the, the journey that the book um, goes on? And, and even within that, is it a book where you follow exactly what happens in... Sorry, is it a game where you follow exactly what happens in the book? Or is it a game set in the world of the book? And, and there can be differences there as well. Right, and I think an excellent example for that kind of game setting would be any of the plethora of games that are set in the Call of Cthulhu universe, yep. which is a series of stories. Well, Call of Cthulhu is a story by H.P. Lovecraft, or Howard Phillips Lovecraft, written, I guess, 20s and 30s. And it's all about this, you know, unspeakable horrors from beyond trying to, you know, influence or invade, or, or I'm sorry, mm. influence or invade our world and you know how people go mad trying to deal with you know the unknown yeah it's not suitable for my age group but there's certainly games that i that i've enjoyed arkham horror is um a great example of a game that that is set in that setting without necessarily evoking the the story right and and there's it's you know there's a lot of age groups that it's not suitable for mm. or if if you don't really feel obligated to have them read the source material, uh, then you then you'll be better off in some communities because you've got to be careful. The original books of that series do have racism. I mean, it, Lovecraft was a notorious Anglophile, mm. and you know uh, he did not like a lot of what he considered. I can't even say this without feeling dirty. You know, some of the sub races or yeah. lesser races of, of mankind, and you know, despite that fact. I still find his stories an excellent snapshot into the bigotry and the what was going on in the 20s, but you don't want to teach your kids, hey, by the way, this is how we want you to act. Yeah. There's, I suppose, a, you know, a whole range of games um, for adults based on books that are really adult books. Another one I'm thinking of is The Game of Thrones um, series by George R. R. Martin has a range of um, games that have been published, particularly by Fantasy Flight Games, um, that that are set in that world and try and evoke that that setting. Yes, very nice. Um, you know, something else would be if you've played the uh, or if you've read the Pillars of the Earth series, that uh, the the games based on that book are very amazing. The first book, especially the Pillars of the Earth, 
uh, by Ken Follett. Mm. It uh, it introduces worker placement as an activity, but once again, this is going to be for teenagers or, or older. It's not going to be so exciting for the younger kids, but it's got some neat mechanisms in it, and it does tie back the other bunch of characters in it who are reflected from the book. Yeah. And there are events in the thing that you go, oh, okay, this is kind of when it happened here, or this game makes a lot more sense because it's tied to a book. I think another interesting um, concept, I'm thinking Pillars of the Earth is more of a, um, a popular or mainstream book, whereas something like your Game of Thrones is a little bit more speculative fiction. You find it in the dark, dingy corner of the bookstore, although <laughs> maybe not so much nowadays. But um, when you look at the games based on those two sets of books as well, um, Pillars of the Earth is a game that is more family-friendly, is something that you can bring out, you know, with um, you know, people who are, you know, only play games irregularly or whatever else. It's a, it's a bit easier to get on the table, whereas your Game of Thrones books tend to be a lot more involved um, and a lot more... Um, I suppose, gamer games, you know, games for people who like to play games. Well, that's true, but, uh, you know, looking back at Lovecraft, there are all kinds of levels of games. Like, you could get a Cthulhu dice, which is basically a big 12-sided die with various symbols on it, and that is suitable, because there's really not much of a game there, suitable for all ages, mm. whereas Arkham Horror is a two- to six-hour slugfest where you're <laughs> going to be moving around a map and you know, having to make a lot of critical decisions and your characters may take damage or die or go crazy or there's a role-playing game based on it, might not be suitable for the younger kids. Yeah, and I suppose I suppose you're right. I'm just thinking back to even The Lord of the Rings. You know, you've got your, your epic games like War of the Ring, which is a several-hour war game for two players, all the way through to something like um, the recently published game The Hobbit, um, by Fantasy Flight Games and Rainer Knizia, that, that is a lighter family game. So, uh, yeah, they do run the gamut, I suppose. Yeah. And in fact, there was an old Hobbit game by Iron Crown as well, which you probably can't find. But, uh, you know, that was also designed to be a very light family game. Yeah. So, coming at it, I mean, you're a librarian, I'm a teacher. Um, we've got these games that relate to books. We've talked about what some of the book series are. We can bring up a few others, I suppose, as we go along. Um, what, in what way would you use these games uh, and, and how um, would they link back into that love of books that you obviously have as a librarian and as a part of what you guys do as, in your library? Well, frequently on our library game nights, I've brought out games where it's, I've themed it around a book. So I've got three games that are based around Ken Follett's works. You know, one's a two-player game and then two, you know, four-player games. Yep. And so I've, I've brought those out, used them as an example to talk to the guys about the books who, who come to play and, and showed them off. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to get those to the table again soon. On the other hand, there have been some times where, um, like my son is in school, he's been studying, like two years ago, he was studying the railroad and basically the bridging of the Americas, you know, connecting the East to the West and the Golden Spike and all that. And so we grabbed out Empire Builder, which was not specifically about a book, but about a theme that he, that he was reading a mm. bunch of books about. And that uh, I say bunch, it was probably his history book and one other book that he had to read. But to, <laughs> for him, that's a bunch these days. And uh, and so now, uh, you know, we played this game where, so he had an idea of, well, what are goods and why do they transport? How is it really tough to get across the country? I don't see why it's such a big deal. But, you know, my son's fairly well-traveled, having been to Oklahoma and all up and down the East Coast and 
just you know had quite a bit of travel in his life. So between those two things, he now has a much broader understanding of our country. Yeah, I, from my point of view as a teacher, I guess that um, when I brought out games, usually um, around things like, you know, you mentioned Harry Potter earlier, um, you know, I'll mention The Hobbit and so forth. These are usually, um, I'll bring these out after we've read a particular book. So, you know, if we've read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone, if you're in the US, um, uh, or if you've read The Hobbit, uh, we're, well, sorry, after we've read The Hobbit, we'll bring those games out and play them. And they make, they make, as you say, an interesting talking point. You know, why is this in the game? Why is that in the game? Why does this happen? Um, and that, that discussion on what's included in the game and what isn't, and, you know, just asking leading questions about what can you, what can you find in the game or what happens in the game that's like what happens in the books or whatever else can be an interesting talking point and a gauge of, um, you know, the level of, of comprehension that was there in terms of, you know, when, when we were reading the, that book. But, you know, there's something else that we haven't talked about. Um, as far as books and games and, and all of that. And that's books written about games or, well, which is not even what I meant to say, but, you know, there's a whole bunch of chess theory books and, and how do you play better chess. I'm sorry, I've, I've just jumped topic on you. I apologize to our listeners. Um, no, but not at there, all. <laughs> you know, how do you play Go? You know, so if you can bring games in and people are, and the kids are having a tough time learning how to play them or whatever, if you've got, some very simple introductory books that show them how to get information from these books that is of relevance to them at that time, such as how do you brush up your chess theory or choose better tactics or whatever it is, then that's going to help teach them to go to books in the future when they have an actual need. Because I think too frequently, <clears throat> unfortunately, education, when you're teaching you know, 20, 30 kids at one time, you have a lot of manufactured needs. Like, uh, we're going to teach you about history, and you are going to then go look in books and find out about these history things and then write a report on it. Which, to kids, is sometimes it's exciting, but most of the time you got to admit, it's boring them. They're like, oh my gosh, there's this huge chore. But if, on the other hand, you can say, hey, let's all play chess, blah, blah, blah. you got 15 chess boards out, and they're all learning, and they're, they're having fun or trouble with it. You can say, okay, great. Would you like to do better at chess? Well... Here's a book, and you can read it, and you can learn a little bit more on how to play chess, and it might even only just be one of the 15-page pamphlets or 16-page pamphlets you know, that, that says, mm -hmm. look, chess basics for super beginners, hooray, whatever it is. You're then teaching kids how to go to the books to fulfill a need that they have, not a need that we're forcing on them. And I think that that's a very exciting thing to them to learn that, Oh my gosh, my car is broken. I need to go and find a find a book or uh, someplace on the internet. I need to be able to go find that instead of feeling helpless about whatever their information needs are. And I think that, that that's very important. Yeah. Another, I suppose, another you know activity that you could follow on from there, and, and something similar is um, games that, or sorry, books that talk about games in a general sense. You know, books that are review games or whatever else. I'm thinking of the hundred best series of books um, edited by James Lauder, and um, these are. Uh, 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 books that where every chapter is a different game review written by a different game designer um, talking about their I'm really glad games. you mentioned that. If we'd gone through this whole topic and not mentioned James' book, he'd have helped me personally, personally responsible for that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's great. It's not just them talking about the games, but how, why that game is special to them, 
maybe a little bit about the history yeah. with the game. And, and so it gives a new perspective when looking at games. And you, I was surprised at what I considered some of the less interesting games that were on some of these designers' lists. Because you think about back in time, well, that was all that was available then. Or the special point in time where this game becomes special to them. You know, it, that's all very exciting to me. I mean, you know, even a book like that is something, you know, I, I could throw out in the classroom and I know there's a few kids that love the game collection, you know, particularly love the game collection that we've got and, and who could look through that for um, chapters on the games that we've got in the cupboards. Or alternatively, you know, we've got a small budget for games. You know, I could throw that out on the table and say, I tell you what, read through, you know, and if you find a game that you really like the sound of, we'll look at getting it. You know, and then I'm sure they would um, walk away from that really impassioned to get that game and play it. I suppose an, another aspect of that whole that whole reading for understanding that you're talking about um, before, Don, is also, you know, here are the rules, go and read them. <laughs> that's that's a whole other topic. That is. Um, back to the topic about books and games, uh, I've thought about one other element of books and games that we haven't even touched on yet. Can you guess what it is? No. Well, there are a series of books about Halo, which obviously the Halo is a huge franchise on the Xbox 360, so it's very popular. Lots of kids love playing it. If you've heard of the game Settlers of Catan, which is a board game that Giles and I have probably mentioned before. If not, we'll certainly be talking about it in the future, um, which is trading and expanding your, uh, you know, your color across the board and trying mm. to get the most victory points based on how big your settlements become or how long your roads are, or how big your army is. Well, there's a series of books based on that setting. So if you have children, well, if you have anyone who's interested in the games, then one of the things that, that I gave a speech on was the basic the intersection between games and literacy. And if you look at literacy, and you can develop literacy skills by finding any interest that people have. Well, if people are already interested in these games, if kids are already interested in these games, then you can say, well, here's a book about this game set in the same world, maybe, or you know, that talks about the main character of the game, or whatever it is. You know, maybe that will develop some interest from games there. And we've had some of the kids in our library love the Halo books. And that's been pretty exciting to see them get excited about books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's an interesting number of, um, of books, I suppose, particularly that tie in with toy lines or TV series, um, which is getting away slightly from what we're talking about. But, yeah, it's a fantastic thing to see anything that um, empowers or inspires kids to go out and pull books off bookshelves. Right, absolutely. Well, um, so that's it. That's really all that I have to say today about books and games. Uh, have we missed anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I think there is. There's a whole range of stuff I want to talk about at some stage about um, comprehension and, and um, you know, re reflecting between the the game experience and the book and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I think that's something that we can cover in another episode. We've talked long enough. Maybe we should close the chapter on this. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. Yeah, we're 35 minutes into it. I think it's probably time. Yep. to calm down just a little bit. Well, until next time, um, if you've got any thoughts about books and games or if there's anything that um, we've 
Don and I have overlooked or we haven't talked about or you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode, um, please do contact us. We love any feedback that we get, and you can contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com. That's all lowercase. Until next time, I'm Giles Pritchard. And I'm Donald Dennis. Games in Schools and Libraries is kindly hosted by the Games for Educators website. You can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.